the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Let Us Reason, a Christian-Muslim dialogue with host Al Fadi. Let Us Reason is a unique show utilizing theology, apologetics, and evangelism to reach Muslims for Christ by comparing and contrasting Christian and Muslim doctrines. And now, your host, Al Fadi. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, hope you're having a fabulous Saturday and a wonderful, wonderful week. Uh, this is uh, Let Us Reason. I'm your host, Al Fadi, and thank you so much, as always, for tuning in and for being out there to support us in prayers and even in partnership. We thank those of you who have been given, and uh, we thank those of you who are considering as well to give. Because of your faithfulness, by the way, we are into our fifth season already uh, on the air, something that probably if you would have asked me uh, back in uh, October 4th, 2014, is that going to be a reality? I probably wouldn't have, wouldn't have uh, imagined that I could be even on the air. In fact, I was even nervous that after maybe people listening to my show two or three times, they'll start complaining to KPXQ 1360 and they'll just cut me off the air immediately. But we praise God that uh, the leadership here also understands uh, the times and the importance of sharing the message. And also, we want to make sure, just because it is called Let Us Reason, uh, a Christian-Muslim dialogue with Al-Fadi, that doesn't mean we're here to uh, bash Islam or Muslims or bash anyone, by the way. We're here to reason with our Muslim friends, uh, uh, Muslim guests, uh, immigrants, students, refugees, uh, no matter what background they come from, I am a former Muslim, and I am a follower of Christ, and I have the privilege, of course, of serving the Lord, but I also have the responsibility as his ambassador to plea to my people, uh, the Muslim people, to at least hear my message. Now, last week, we basically talked about, a uh, did a comparison, if you wish, between uh, Sharia law, uh, which is Islamic law, and uh, compared it quickly to the rule of law and how courts and the legal system works in the U.S. Of course, my heavy emphasis was on the Sharia law side of things because our audience, our listeners, uh, are familiar with how things work in the U.S. And I wanted just to give them a taste of what would it be like to live under Sharia law. And the reason why I brought it up has to do really with the um, uh, current state of affair uh, in terms of the Supreme Court uh, nomination of Judge Brett Kavanaugh and the unfortunate, of course, uh, drama that ensued after that and all of the accusations and, of course, uh, um, you know, uh, the victimization that resulted not just against him and his family, but against also Dr. Ford and how um, Sadly, uh, maybe one will say this with conviction, both sides ended up using it for political gains more so than anything else. We're not here to talk about politics. I'm here just to give people a flavor of why we're fortunate to have a process like the one we have in the U.S., due process, 
that uh, people are innocent until proven guilty versus people are guilty just because someone can testify and say they did something and the court will go only by their oral uh, testimony and sworn testimony versus going by tangible evidence to corroborate that. That's how it works in the U.S. You have to corroborate any accusations. There have to be testimonies. There have to be evidence. There has to be a, a phase for discovery and so on and so forth. Under Sharia law, not so. You can literally go to a judge under Sharia law and just have two, at least minimum of two men, who will give a sworn testimony on the Quran and you invoke in the name of Allah, the God of Islam, and can make any accusations against anyone, and the court will have to go by that oral testimony. Is that the way we want things to be? I don't think so. I doubt that that's what we want to see our nation uh, ended up ba- uh, basically taking a direction like this. Because in this case, anyone, you know, male or female, can accuse someone else And just by virtue of bringing two or three of their buddies or her buddies and can go to court and just give a sworn testimony, that's it. Uh, Your life is destroyed and you can be thrown in jail or under Sharia law, somebody can lose their head as a result of this or lose an arm or hand because they are accused of stealing and so on and so forth. So if that's what we are hoping to accomplish, then this is not the America that I came to. This is not the country that I left everything behind to come and enjoy the freedom and a democracy that we have. The blessings that God has bestowed upon this nation because of the biblical foundation, the bedrock principles that our legal system stands on. So this is just from someone who's an immigrant. I'm sharing this with you. I'm telling you that you ought to be really uh, feel blessed that The world would always long to come to the U.S. Every single person in the world would love to get a chance to come over here and flock, basically, from any place to come to the U.S. Why? Because human life is valuable. Because people are respected. Because here, you know that you are definitely made in the image of God. You're respected. You're dealt with as a person, not just as a material. Now, the second part today that I want to piggyback on what I started has to do with the treatment of women under Sharia law. And why do I bring this? Because sadly, through this entire uh, nomination process, we've seen, unfortunately, this claim that um, you know women are being entangled upon, that women are being used and abused. While I would agree that if any woman has been sexually assaulted, or used for any kind of gain, she has every right to stand up for herself and even present evidence and testimonies to defend herself. And the person or the group that did that to her must suffer the consequences. No one is disputing that. But what saddens me when I see activists who actually come from a background where women have no rights whatsoever and all of a sudden want to lecture us here in the U.S. about rights. Here is one name that is becoming a household, basically, uh, product, if you wish. A household name, technically speaking. Linda Sarsour, okay? She's supposedly a Palestinian-American activist. The way she's dressed up, she's a Muslim because she's wearing a burqa or hijab. She is someone who represents a religion that is the religion of Islam. 
And here's what Ms. Sarsour says, allegedly based on a Washington Times article that is dated October 5th, 2018. It says the following, Women's March leader Linda Sarsour on Friday launched a racial attack against Senator Susan Collins, saying the Maine Republican, meaning the one who's representing the state of Maine, was guilty of espousing white supremacy with her decision to support the Supreme Court nomination of Judge Brett Kavanaugh. Now, if you remember last week, um, Senator Susan Collins stood uh, at, uh, on the floor of the Senate and presented her argument as to why she decided to vote for the nomination. She did a beautiful, beautiful, uh, basically, speech and an argument. She used common sense. She indicated that she didn't go by emotions, rather by facts. And she also expressed her desire uh, that women and their right have always to need to be protected and also uh, things need to be done to change any uh, negative, basically, things that are being done against any woman in the U.S., be it, uh, I mean, she wasn't talking just about white women. She was talking about women in general. Ms. Sarsour, in the article, uh, proceeded, uh, basically, the article proceeded to say that Ms. Sarsour, a prominent Palestinian-American activist, blasted Ms. Collins on Twitter as, and here's what it says, as a white woman and the mother and grandmother of white women in America who gave us a Donald Trump presidency. That's pretty big, bold, basically, statements to make. Again, people like to get into politics because apparently that gives them a lot of, uh, basically, support, uh, prominency. Uh, Maybe they like the attention. Whatever it might be, Ms. Sarsour's comments came after Ms. Collins announced on the Senate floor that she would vote in favor of confirming Judge Kavanaugh, calling him an exemplary public servant, judge, teacher, coach, husband, and father. But apparently, Ms. Sarsour did not like this. Now, that's really interesting, by the way, when we see that someone as Ms. Linda Sarsour does not like how Miss uh, Susan Collins, uh, a female, a woman, actually interacted with the rule of law and the evidence and facts. Now, with that in mind, and with Miss Linda Sarsour in the background now, who represents the religion of Islam, by her own admission, by the way, we need to take a journey now about how are Muslim women and even women in general considered or treated under Islamic Sharia law? For instance, in the Quran, actually, not a single woman is mentioned by name, even the wives of uh, the Prophet himself, except for one woman only, and that's the mother of our Lord Jesus Christ. She's the only one that she was mentioned by name in the Quran. That is interesting. That is absolutely interesting. Not even Eve was mentioned by name. No other woman ever was mentioned by name. Well, if women are really that important, you would think the Quran will be filled with examples of women being mentioned by name. Take that, for instance, uh, to the Bible. In the Bible side, in Old Testament, New Testament, you find names of women, even women, that somebody might argue and say they came from a 
pagan background, from not a so good background. Uh, Rahab, for instance, the prostitute, okay, uh, and others. But the Bible brought them into lights as those who have been faithful, elevated their status, and showed that God really is no respecter of man, does not really distinguish between this person or that person. Now, what about the status of woman in the Quran itself? Well, sadly, uh, the Quran actually uh, gives you mixed messages. Sometimes it talks about women in a positive way. Other times it talks about them in a negative way, depending on the context and the status itself. Okay? Now, um, the rights for a man over his wife, for instance, under Islamic Sharia law. One of the jurists of Sharia, al-Shafi'i, who is the head of the Shafi'i school of Sharia law, uh, found prominently in Asia and Southeast Asia, by the way, it's kind of like a, a moderate to conservative school, said the following. He says, wedlock is a sort of bondage or slavery. The woman is the slave of the husband. A wife ought to obey her husband absolutely in everything he asks of her concerning herself, provided it does not entail disobedience to God. What does that mean? What does that mean? If he asks his wife to leave Islam, that's the only thing that is disobedient, okay? Other than that, he owns her, okay? Owns her. It is not permissible that humans should bow down before humans. However, if humans were permitted, okay, if humans were permitted to bow down before humans, the wife would have been commanded to bow down before her husband because of his great rights over her. The One of the wives of the prophet, her name is Aisha, which, by the way, it's uh, speaking of women and uh, rights, Aisha was nine years of age, when the prophet of Islam was 54 years of age when he married her and consummated the marriage. And the tradition is that he proposed to her father to engage with her when she was 6 and he was 51. By age 9, he consummated the marriage and he was 54 of age. Speaking of rights, I wonder if Ms. Sarsour would like to address issues like this. Aisha, the wife of the prophet, narrated and says, I asked the prophet, who among people has the greatest right over the woman? He answered, meaning the prophet of Islam, her husband. I ask, who has the greatest right over the man? He answered, his mother. And by the way, mother's status in Islam is great. In fact, there is a saying that heaven is under the foot of the mother. That is great. That's beautiful. I mean, no one would dispute that. But what I'm talking about is wives here and their rights in marriage. Okay, rights of woman acquired over her husband. The Prophet of Islam, uh, in his final address, final sermon, if you wish, before his death, said the following. And now, people, you acquire certain rights over your wives, and they do you. The right you acquire over them is that they should not let someone you hate sleep in your beds and not to commit a manifest obscenity or adultery. 
If they do commit it, then God has given you permission to leave them alone in their beds and give them a beating. Did you hear this? Give them a beating, physical beating. In fact, this is mentioned in the Quran, chapter 4, verse 34. One of the rights of the husband over his wife is to beat her for fearing that she may have done something that he disliked. Not because of evidence, no, fearing. <laughs> what a coincidence here. Because during the nomination process, uh, there were a lot of people that were judging the judge by fearing and making judgment against also the accuser by uh, hearing. You know, that doesn't work that way. Okay? And give them a beating, though not too hard. Gee, what a wonderful way. Don't beat them hard, but just beat them. Okay? Talking about spousal abuse. If they give over... They get their provision and clothing with kindness. Meaning, after they submit to you, after they're being beaten, I command you goodwill for your wives, for they are your captives. Notice the words here. That do not own anything of their own. Meaning, they are slaves. You are the one who owns them and own all of their property. They're closing everything. They don't have a job. Therefore, you're the one who's going to provide for them. In fact, in chapter 4 of the Quran, verse 34, that's exactly what it says. Men are superior over women because they are the providers of women. Well, apparently, the conductor and the composer of the Quran didn't think that in the 20th and 21st century, women will be working and driving and earning a job. But anyway, be it as it may, uh, that's what we're dealing with. So my question here, how come Miss Sarsour missed all of that when she is really standing here and making accusations against a honorable and distinguished senator. Okay? Now, let's take a look at another thing. Rights of women in marriage. Did you know that the women have no rights whatsoever when it comes to marriage? In fact, the husband have all the rights when it comes to that. In fact, under the rights of women in marriage that the husband can marry up to four. At least that's the common standard interpretation of chapter 4, verse 3. Here's what it says. If, basically, it's saying, uh, if you fear that you will not act justly towards the orphans, marry such women as seem good to you, two, three, four, and some will say at a time, meaning altogether. But if you fear you will not be equitable, then marry only one or what your right hands own. Here's what your right hands own mean. You could be married uh, legally to someone and you still have a slave woman, so she is like your property. You can sleep with your wife and sleep with the slave woman because she's your property. And in those days, a person will have three or four or five or six slave women, not just one. In other words, you have one is your wife legally and the others are your property. Talking about rights of women, okay? Here is why I am bringing up issues like this, because it really irritates me when I see people who come from a background that treats women miserably, disrespectfully, and does not care for their rights, and all of a sudden wants to lecture us here about how we ought to really treat women, where women here have rights, Women can voice out their opposition, their opinion. They can stand up for themselves, and they can do so utilizing any of the means that we have at our hand. Social media, media, standing publicly, doing whatever they want, and you have people that will listen to them. People will support him. 
People will basically propagate their uh, message, but try to do the same in countries where Sharia law is enforced, or even just come from an Islamic background, at least, and see what happens to you. That's why it is a sad thing. When it comes to divorce, do you know that the husband have every right to divorce the wife for whatever reason? And they can divorce the wife basically almost immediately. They can divorce the wife almost immediately just because they just dislike the way she was dressing up, dislike something that she said, and they can divorce the wife once. They can divorce wife maybe twice. But if they divorce the wife three times, she's not eligible to return back to the marriage relationship, which is, by the way, under Sharia law, marriage is a contract, a business contract. You pay money, a down payment. You receive a wife. After you divorce her, she's entitled to a refund. What does that sound to you? Okay. Nevertheless, if you divorce her three times, she cannot really come back to the marriage relationship unless she finds another husband. She sleeps sexually with that husband. That second husband divorces her. Then she is clear to come back to you. A complete violation of Deuteronomy 25 and what the uh, what the law says about the fact that you cannot basically that you cannot basically bring back someone a wife after you have separated from the wife these are the kind of things that i wonder if people are aware of by the way you can always go to my website sirainternational.com and again this is alfadi and if you're tuning in you're listening to let us reason and we're talking about the rights of women under Sharia law or Islam in general. You can go to my website, sirainternational.com, and that's C as in Charlie. And in there, you are going to see uh, that there uh, I've done a number of lectures on Sharia law. You can also go to my YouTube channel. You can even Google Al-Fadi Sharia. And you'll come across a number of teachings that I did on this topic where I have a number of teachings, basically, that is more exhaustive and more comprehensive than this. We've done also a number of previous shows, at least in the first and second season of our show, uh, about Sharia law and the rights of women. You can always go and listen to those particular series. Another thing also that I uh, encourage you to do is, if you are interested, of course, in checking the book that I contributed to, The Quran Dilemma, you can get the e-copy. There are articles in there that talk about Woman and the right under the Quran or the treatment of woman basically under the Quran. More so, uh, other things related to woman, for instance. When it comes to the inheritance and the rights of woman to inheritance to, let's say, the property that their parents have left for them, especially the father, of course, uh, under Sharia law, the, um, the woman basically gets half of that of her brother. So let's say there is a son and a daughter only, and basically the father uh, left a certain amount. What the son will get is twice as much as what the daughter will end up getting. As a result of this, um, one must ask the question, where is the equality? Where is the equality under Sharia law? 
What about the legal testimony of women? And I'll leave you with that thought and conclude the show. If you need to take uh, an eyewitness account with you to court, you have to bring two men. But if two men are not available, you can bring one man and two women. Why two women? Because the two women equal one man. And when the Prophet of Islam asked as why, he says because they are deficient in their brain. Yes, everybody. That's basically the teachings that are found in Sharia law. And I wonder if Ms. Sarsour missed all of that. Maybe she didn't even take the class on Sharia law when she was going to college or in school. Nevertheless, uh, if you are listening, this is Al-Fadi, and uh, this is our show, Let Us Reason. You can always go back to our um, platforms like Omni Studio or SoundClouds or our website, Sierra International, and be able to access the archive of these shows. And feel free to interact with us by email at alfadi at Sierra which is alfadi at sierrainternational.com or go through our website, sierrainternational.com. Until we meet again, have a blessed Saturday. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.